Blog Talk Radio. Get off my. Ladies and gentlemen, George Wilder Jr. George Wilder Jr. Show, everybody. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. We've been off for two days. You probably know that. Everybody great, great, a great Thanksgiving weekend also. You know, a lot of things were closed. A lot of people were off. And then there was a lot of things that were open because people still went to work. You know, so, but it was, uh, it was great. Now it's cold. We've had a blizzard here last night. I mean, it was shaking the windows. <laughs> it was shaking the windows and kept a lot of us up. But I found a solution, and uh, we got some sleep, okay? But still in all, it was a blizzard. I mean, the snow, I mean, it was just a winter wonderland in the city of Chicago, folks. And I hope it was one of those winter wonderlands where you were. It looked great, but it was just damn cold. And uh, they're saying that after the big snowfall, after the big blizzard, the cold is on the way, as if it wasn't here already, the way we felt it anyway. Um, anyway, thanks for uh, tuning into the George Wilder Jr. Show. Thanks for listening later. Thanks for uh, <clears throat> all your feedback and all that kind of thing to the George Wilder Jr. Show. It's a lot of podcasts out there. I'm just one. I'm just a needle in a haystack, folks. Uh, <laughs> but I love what I'm doing, and I love that uh, uh, we still haven't actually booked anyone for the show. Yeah, we got to do that. We got to. I'm the producer, so that's my job is to uh, book people for the show. But I have been so busy, 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 busy. 
And uh, maybe maybe it's because of the holidays. Maybe maybe it's because there's so much money available, and I can just grab it and spend it, you know. But uh, <clears throat> those days will soon be gone. But it's it's been busy. It's been a busy time for the George Wilder Jr. show. That's why we were off. And I know there's people sticking sticking with the show because if I'm not on, there's always plenty of podcasts that you can listen to. Uh, recorded shows that sound as if I'm actually on the air live. So it, it it's it's a give and take, you know. It's a give and take. All right, Black Friday, Black Friday, man. Some of these Black Friday uh, sales aren't what they uh, uh, pan, not what it's all about. Some of these Black Friday sales are just not sales at all. Because a lot of times you go um, to some of these Black Friday stores and they have nothing on they have nothing on sale. You go get something for uh, five hundred bucks and they'll tell you, "Well, we're going to give you a five percent off." That's not much of a sale, you know. <laughs> I don't think so. Anyway, I mean, you go buy something for two hundred dollars, three hundred dollars, and suddenly, well, we're we're yeah, we're Black Friday, but that's not on sale. That's the original price. But we do Black Friday. We'll give you a two or three percentage, two two or three percent off that particular item. That's bullshit. You know, I mean, th- my guess is Black Friday is good for some people, and Black Friday is not so good to other people, because some people couldn't go out and buy, find these sales. I I, I think these sales are at different kinds of stores. Not every store. Not every outlet. You know, and then some of the store managers will tell you, well, you got to buy $200 worth of merchandise before you can get, before you can get at least 15% off of Black Friday. Bullshit. That's crazy. Uh, Because me and my family, we've been out, we've been going on, we've been going out, excuse me, (laughs) I got gum in my mouth. We've been going out for Black Friday for years. And I can tell you. The sales have not been all that great. Not even online. Sometimes uh, online is pretty good, a pretty decent sometimes. Because sometimes online you can find something uh, very expensive for a very low price. But you have to jump on it. You really have to jump on it because if you don't jump on it in time, it's going to go back up to being whatever it was before it went down. I've learned that. You know, you really got to jump on it. If something, it costs $600 and it's been marked down to $200, you better jump on it because in the next hour, it may go back up to 600 You know, <laughs> this is the way this, this happens, at least the way I have experienced it. But anyway, everybody, thanks for tuning in to the George Walton Jr. Show. I hope your Black Friday has been a great one. I hope you found some great deals. I... I I didn't find much, but uh, I, I, I bought a few things, and you know, I just love shopping. We love shopping. We do. I'm, you know, I mean, I just love grabbing some money and going out buying something until the money runs out, and that's what it's all about for the holidays. Spending something on yourself, spending something on your family, because shopping is fun, especially when you have the money to do it. It is very, very fun. And I love doing it. My son loves doing it. 
Sometimes I have to push him to do it, but to have fun. But uh, shopping is fun. Buying stuff is fun, even if you don't need it. Even if you don't need it, you, you go out and you say to yourself, well, I don't really need this, but it was fun shopping for it. <laughs> All right, you've been listening to the George Walter Jr. Show. We've been off for two days, but we're live now. We will soon be podcasted. And some of the people from Block Talk Radio have been emailing me and said, Mr. Wilder, you're missing out on income opportunities for, the, for your show. I, got, I have to really check that out. <laughs> It'll be nice for Christmas, right? Uh, they're saying, well, Mr. Wilder, you should check into income for more income. You know, I can always use a few more bucks. Uh, any, any, any of us would, you know, so... Um, we're going to take a break right here because I have to go fix my mouth because <laughs> it's not working right now. Maybe because I've been off for, you know, four or five days now, um, and trying to get back into the groove of things. So we'll be right back and stay right where you are.
There is a Christmas movie out here that surpasses any other Christmas movie that I have ever seen. If you are looking for a Christmas movie for the holidays, I mean, this is it. This one is called... I mean, I'm, I I loved it so much when I watched it the first time. I loved it so much that I had to watch it three or four more times. And I am just in awe because my favorite Christmas movie was 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 The Polar Express with Tom Cruise. Tom Hanks, I'm sorry. Tom Hanks. <laughs> so many Toms, right? Uh, Tom Hanks. And uh, but that's been eclipsed. And there was another movie that I, I I was never too much sold on The Grinch Who Sold Christmas. That's just me. You may love it, but that's just me. Uh, the Grinch Who Sold A Christmas Carol. I, I think that's a good movie or a good story, but it depends. In the movie, it depends on who's starring in the movie and what kind of story it is. Because I've watched... Uh, a, a Christmas Carol. I've watched it, and it this particular one seemed so stagey, as if the people were on stage. It was filmed on stage, and I didn't like that part. I mean, if I'm going to watch a movie, I want it to be a movie and not as if I'm watching it, watching a stage play. And I was watching the, and that was uh, George C. Scott, the late George C. Scott. He did. Uh, a Christmas Carol. So many people have done A Christmas Carol. I mean, uh, by uh, Charles Dickens, author. Uh, started in the 40s, maybe the 30s, 40s. People have been, ever since then, doing uh, A Christmas Carol. Uh, Dr. Seuss, uh, uh, The Grinch Who Stole Christmas, and you, you have these uh, Charlie Brown's Christmas specials. Uh, and I'm and I'm a Christmas guy. I love Christmas. I love the the event. I love the getting in the spirit of things. But this particular movie is called the the movie that I think eclipses every other Christmas movie out there. And if you don't believe me, then you go take a look. You go watch the movie. It's called The Christmas Chronicles. It's a, it's a, it's a Kind of a weird name. It says the Christmas Chronicles, but don't let that stop you. Uh, it's starring Kirk Russell, and it's Kirk Russell's movie. The movie it just came out. It just hit hit the uh, television. It's it was released on November twenty second, twenty eighteen. So it was just released. So you got plenty of time to go on next Netflix and watch this beautiful, wonderful, exciting movie. Now, MSN, MSN, they're already calling it a great movie, and I totally agree with them. I would not be pushing anything on the George Wilder Jr. show if I didn't watch it myself and if I didn't find it to be a great movie. It's called The Christmas Chronicles. It's on Netflix. It's a Netflix movie. They're presenting it. And it stars the great Russell, who has always been, who I've always been a fan of. His movies are just super, super duper great. But this 
one. Lately, when he's in a movie, lately now, he's just in a bit part. He's playing a, you know, a, a, a small part in a movie. But in The Christmas Chronicles, which is a great movie, I totally agree, he is the lead actor. I mean, this movie belongs to Kirk Douglas. Kirk Douglas. Kirk Russell. I'm getting their names wrong. This movie belongs to Kirk Russell. He's been acting since he was a child. He acted alongside, as a child, he acted alongside Elvis Presley in a movie called uh, It Happened at the World's Fair. Okay? So, but this is, but this time he's playing Santa Claus. I mean, he's a thin down, slim down Santa Claus. And they're giving all kinds of reasons and excuses for that. And it works. It really works. Uh, the two kids in the movie that, uh, that you see when the movie starts, they're great. I think, the, I think the young girl, I can't remember her name, but I think the young girl is just super. I, I think she is just great. <laughs> she's smart, intelligent. I mean, she's intellectual. She looks as if she's about 10 or 12, 10 or 12 years old, but she's very, very smart. She's, uh, I, I think she's going to be a great actor, actress as she grows. But Kirk Douglas, Kirk Russell, I'm sorry, Kirk Russell. I, <laughs> uh, why am I thinking about Kirk Douglas for some reason? Kirk Russell. I mean, he outdoes himself in this. Even he channels Elvis Presley a little bit in the movie, but it's not about that. It's a great Christmas movie. It puts you in the Christmas spirit. He's a different kind of Santa Claus, and he's fun. And the movie is just so well acted. It's just so well produced. It's phenomenal. It's a great movie. If you ever thought of yourself, if you ever watched a great movie that you feel is great, you're going to love this Christmas movie. Get rid of all those other Christmas movies that you watched in the past and go on Netflix and watch the uh, Christmas Chronicles starring Kirk Russell. I don't plug anything. I don't plug much on this show, folks. I really don't. And, and uh, I wouldn't plug it if I hadn't seen it for myself. And I've watched it four or five times. If you don't like this movie, you have a hole in your head. If you're into Christmas and you love Christmas, you like watching movies. And if you don't love this movie, you have a hole in your head. All right. Most anticipated movies coming in 2019. That was something there is. Let me see. The most anticipated. Okay. We have another Joker. Batman. <laughs> movie coming in 2019. I think this is the Joker is going to be the, the guy who's playing the Joker. Is Juwan, Juwan Phoenix. Phoenix or something to that effect. But he, he has some really, really uh, tough shoes to fill uh, in terms of Heath Ledger. Because in my mind, in a lot of folks' minds, Heath Ledger is the greatest uh, actor, the best actor to have ever played the Joker in a Batman movie. Now we're having another Batman movie coming out, and the Joker this time will be uh, uh, Juwan Phoenix. Yeah, and uh, 
he has some big shoes to fill because uh, Keith Heath Ledger won an Oscar for it. We know that he passed away before the movie actually hit theaters, but he won an Oscar for it, and I believe his family accepted the Oscar because he's, he has passed away. He, I mean, he was the best Joker. That 2008 Batman uh, movie, The Dark, is it The Dark, dark Knight? Or um, anyway, the first one, the first one. I think the second one was the, the, the Dark Knight. The Dark Knight Rises, that's the second one. The first one, The Dark Knight. Uh, Heath Ledger, uh, greatest, great Joker. As for um, the guy who played Batman three times, Christian Bale, I, I really don't think that he is the best. Batman of all time. I think the best Batman, if I had to um, go in the back of my mind, I would think one of the animated uh, cartoons, uh, Kevin Conroy. I think he is the best Batman. The best Joker in some of these animated uh, cartoons is no other than um, Mark Hamill. These two guys uh, can really, really... uh, uh, Entertain you as Batman and Joker. They only provide the voices, okay? Uh, this is, um, but it's good. It's good. And I always thought that Christian Bale's Batman was so phony. The voice, yeah, I'm gonna get you. I'm gonna. I mean, I thought it was so funny and so, you know, corny. You know, the way he played Batman. But he did it three times, and he didn't want to do it again. Thank God for us, right? Thank God for that. Um, but anyway, uh, and I'm, I'm a Batman fan more so than I am a Superman fan. And I'm also an iron. I like Iron Man. I always loved Iron Man. I used to read Iron Man comic books growing up, you know, Iron Man, Thor. I I used to devour myself, Superman, Batman, devour myself in these comic books. And I want to give a shout out to Stan Lee who passed away. A uh, week, week or so ago, Stan Lee, uh, uh, he was 95 years old. I mean, he is the uh, architect uh, around a lot of this, these Marvel uh, movies and comic books. So Stan Lee, I was, I was shocked and I heard that he had passed away. I think they said pneumonia or something. Uh, he passed away. He was 95. But you know what? You, yeah, 95, you think of somebody dying at 95, you tell yourself, you don't feel too sorry for them. You don't, you know, feel too sorry for them because these people, when they die at 95 and 100, they've had a long, long, long life. They've seen a lot. They know a lot. They have, they actually, they've known a lot. Uh uh, you really don't feel too sorry for them, but you always, you you know in the back of your mind that one day they're gonna die. You one day, uh, it's gonna happen. But when it finally does happen, you kind of feel sort of remorsed. You know, ninety five years old, and uh, he was a he was rich. <laughs> this old man was rich, and um before that, I think a month or so ago. Uh, he was in court saying that someone was misusing him or abusing him, or and he was calling it elder abuse. Yeah, Stan, he said, yeah, well, you got a lot of people out there. 
I mean, you got a million bucks in the bank, over a million bucks in the bank. Somebody's going to, and you're 95 years old, somebody's going to try to come and, you know, uh, scam you out of it, even if, even if it's someone in your family. Because, well, he's 95 years old. He's an old ass fuck. He don't need all that money. Give it to me, dad. <laughs> Give it to your children. And it's, it's, it's always kind of uh, knowing that a lot of families, a lot of families are disinherited by other people who die in their family. I mean, you have uh, – uh, it's all over the place that people get disinherited. You know, uh, a father dies, and he decides not to leave his six or seven children anything. Because he's so disappointed in them, he doesn't leave. He leaves everything to the maid, you know. So, <laughs> a lot of people are disinherited, you know, and they're fighting like hell to to reap the inheritance after their loved one has passed, but didn't leave them anything. This is going around. This is going around. People do not leave their kids anything anymore because they're so disappointed in some of them, and. A lot of times people will not leave their children any inheritance because they feel that they, their children should do what they've done. Work your way up. Pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Do not think that you're going to get some handout or something. You're going to, hey, I made it. I worked my ass off to get what I have. You got to do it too. If you don't do it, you will be disinherited. That means they won't get shit. And uh, it's happening everywhere. You know, I think Jerry Lewis did it. Jerry Lewis, uh, Martin and Lewis. Yeah, Jerry Lewis, the actor, the the comedian. Yeah, he didn't leave his kids shit. Boy, they were all over the internet bitching. (laughs) Um, It was someone else who didn't leave their kids a damn thing. I think it was Joan Crawford. I don't think she left her, her children anything, and they were bitching. They were... I think the reason why Joan Crawford didn't send, didn't leave her kids anything uh, was because one of them wrote a book and she didn't like it, and so she decided to disinherit it. Uh, you might have read the book. You might have seen the movie Mommy Dearest. Um, so who who else disinherited their children? Um, was it Orson Welles? No, I don't think he had any money when he died because he left an unfinished movie that other people had to finish. So uh, let's see. Who else? But anyway, I can't think of someone right now. If I, if, I probably can do some research on the computer later and find out who disinherited their children. But it's going around. It's going around. You know, you know, if you have a lot of children and you feel like they're not worth, that they're not doing anything with their life and all they want to do is try to bully you and abuse you and try to get your money, then you know you, <laughs> you know you can't, uh, uh, and, and you know you can't leave them anything is what I'm trying to say. But it's happening. It's happening everywhere. So kids out there, be nice. I, I tell mine the same thing. If you want, some, if you want something from me after I'm dead, you better show me that you are going to do something with your life, not just sit back and spend the money that I leave for you and become a lazy slob. 
You've got to get out here and work and pull your ass up by your food, by your bootstraps like I did and like others have. You know, some people, some kids think that, you know, even adults, kids think that that because they're your son or your daughter or your nephew or your niece, that when you pass away, you should leave them all your money. When <laughs> that's not going to happen. If I had a lot of money, that that wouldn't happen. But I'm just saying a lot of people do that. A lot of people disinherit their own children. And then there are those who actually give their money away to someone else beside their family. It might be a nurse or something. It might be their best friend, somebody who's been around them a lot and helped them out in this and that where their families were missing. So uh, be nice. Be nice to your family, to your mother, your father, especially if if you want them to, if they have anything that they could probably leave you in time of their death, um, go for it. I mean, be nice. Be nice out there. And I always say this in general. People should be nice to each other. Be nice to each other. Not arguing, bitching. uh, Just be nice to one another out there. Make the world a better place. All right, you've been listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show. It is 6.30 p.m. in the city of Chicago. It is cold. And they say it's going to get colder. <laughs> we'll just have to be waiting for that, right? All righty. This is CNN Tonight. I'm Don Lemon. Lawyers for President Trump are expected to submit written answers to questions posed uh, by the special counsel soon. Well, the president well, met multiple times with the attorneys over his past week, his attorneys over the past week, amid a scaled back public schedule. When asked about answering questions from Mueller's office, he said this. I write the answers. My lawyers don't write answers. I write answers. Uh, I was asked a series of questions. I've answered them very easily. The Mueller team has been incredibly tight-lipped about their work, but a number of things happening in the past week suggest things are picking up. On Monday, Veterans Day, a federal holiday, at least eight Mueller prosecutors were spotted showing up to work. Monday is also when former Trump attorney and fixer Michael Cohen was spotted in the D.C. train station with one of his criminal defense lawyers. On Wednesday, Mueller asks for a delay in sentencing for former Trump aide Rick Gates, saying Gates continues to cooperate with respect to several ongoing investigations. Former Trump campaign chairman Paul Manafort has held multiple meetings in recent weeks with Mueller's team. Manafort was convicted of eight counts of bank and tax fraud in August and subsequently struck a plea deal last month to avoid a second federal trial. Longtime Trump ally Roger Stone said he is prepared to be indicted, possibly for something pertaining to the 2016 election. Stone's associate, right-wing conspiracy theorist, Theorist Jerome Corsi says he expects an indictment for lying to investigators. The president has said multiple times he is more than willing to sit down with Mueller's team, but it's unclear if that will ever happen. Let's discuss. John Dean is here, Julia Kayyem, and Garrett Graff as well. Garrett is the author of The Threat Matrix, Inside Robert Mueller's FBI, and The War on Global Terror. Good evening to all of you. Julie, I'm going to start with you. President Trump says he's not agitated by the Mueller investigation, but his tweets and literally everything else he has told us about Mueller over the last year, they tell a different story, right? 
Absolutely. I mean, this is not a man who seems to be calm, cool, and collected about this investigation, you know, launching ad hominem attacks against Mueller and his team, lying about who appointed Mueller in the, in the first place, um, and seeming more and more agitated as we get to whatever moment we're getting to. I mean, I would never pretend that I know exactly how this is unfolding. But one thing to remember is that the questions that are being asked, the one thing we do know is that the questions will disclose a theory of a case. So they will ask Trump, you know, yes or no, did you know that the meeting was happening in Trump Tower down the hallway with these Russian operatives? That's a, you're, it's either yes or no. And what Trump doesn't know is how have other people answered? That's the agitation because for the first time, I think he's starting to see what the theory of the case is. And he probably does not like the, uh, what, um, what those questions are showing in terms of what the Mueller team actually Hey, hey Julia, quickly, because I want to get the other um, panelists in here. Yes. But do you think that he's getting information from uh, Whitaker? you think Whitaker's been briefed and is giving him information, giving knowledge of this investigation? I have been on the fence with you and others about Whitaker. You know, I obviously, you know, think others should be the attorney general. Uh, but I, I can't say whether it's yes or no. Sometimes when people get into those positions, they actually behave in ways that are more consistent with the position they're in okay. as attorney general. We haven't heard anything from Rosenstein of concern. It's a little bit like the judge today in the CNN case. Trump appointee, but when you're in that position, things look a little different. Okay. So, John, uh, President Trump says that he's personally writing his responses to Mueller, not his attorneys. Would any lawyer, though, I, no lawyer would let their client, especially one who is the President of the United States, submit their own answers to an investigation such as like this one, correct? Absolutely, Don. Uh, it, it was a preposterous claim. But what he did in, <clears throat> in putting it out there was he took ownership of it. Uh, and I'm sure his lawyers were unhappy with that. That may be one of the reasons for the delay. But Maggie Haberman, who's very well plugged in with the White House and, and the legal team, uh, put the lie to it within minutes after uh, uh, he said it. Mm. Um, his attorney, Rudy Giuliani, told the Washington Post yesterday that some of uh, Mueller's questions, quote, create more issues for us legally than others. He also called some possible traps. Given what Trump is saying today, does this mean that Trump's lawyers heard something or heard Trump's answers and thought, well, we got a real problem here, John? Well, you know, I think that they know their client very well, and he has great difficulty telling the truth. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's something in there that is, is troubling them, and uh, they've, got their, they've got a break on it. And mm -hmm. they're the ones that would obviously transmit it back to the special counsel. So they're probably working with their client trying to work that out. He, he also is pretty stubborn. He, he's convinced of his own lies often and, yeah. and seems to uh, want to ride with them. It's an, <laughs> it's an interesting way of putting it, yet accurate. Yeah. Uh, so hi, Garrett. Let's bring you in now. So let's talk about the Mueller side of the equation. You're reporting that there are a few reasons to be optimistic that he'll be able to complete his investigation. Tell me about that. Yeah, I mean, Juliet was just talking about some of the questions surrounding Whitaker. Uh, and one of the things that we are seeing, you know, there's obvious concern around the appointment of Whitaker. There seems to be no good explanation for why Whitaker has been appointed to this role other than the fact that he is there to, you know, shrink, block, uh, stymie the Mueller investigation. That's the but pessimistic part, though. 
<laughs> right? Well, that's, that's, that's the What's the optimism? The, the optimism uh, that Mueller will be able to complete his probe. What, what he may find, uh, you know, who knows? But you know, I think the rule of law in the United States, we hope that he is able to complete his probe on his own terms, on his own schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, is you know, he's relatively far along. Uh, in this investigation. He's known that there, this change in leadership was coming. Jeff Sessions uh, has long been headed for the exit, and even Whitaker himself was floated as the next person to oversee the investigation uh, months ago. So Mueller certainly uh, was not surprised when any of this happened last week. And we've actually seen Whitaker take some steps that make it seem, for now at least, that he is going to abide by the strong norms and procedures of the Justice Department. He, uh, under a tremendous amount of pressure over the last week, uh, announced this week that he would seek an ethics uh, consultation with the ethics attorneys at the Justice Department over whether he would actually be allowed to oversee the Russia investigation, given his apparent conflicts of interest, uh, both in personal relationships and public statements uh, against the Mueller investigation. Well, uh, this president will not like that if that's indeed the case. So, but I got to ask you, I, I, you know, I cut you off, but did you really get in, did you get in what you, what you wanted to say about the, there's a reason that you believe um, that people should be pessimistic, and that is Matthew Whitaker? Yeah, I mean, there's no good reason for Matt Whitaker to be the acting attorney general of the United States except for the fact that he has been highly critical of the Mueller investigation. I mean, Rod Rosenstein is perfectly capable of leading that department, and the OLC, the Office of Legal Counsel, opinion about Whitaker's uh, appointment is remarkably thin. The best example that they can find uh, of someone serving in this role like Whitaker, they have to go back to 1866, before the Justice Department was even created, uh, and it was someone who served as acting attorney general for just six days. So this is, this is a, an appointment that is far outside the norms of U.S. government. I want to play this. Uh, this is Richard Nixon. This was 45 years ago mm-hmm. tomorrow. He said these famous words. I want to say this to the television audience. I made my mistakes, but in all of my years of public life, I have never profited, never profited from public service. I've earned every cent. And in all of my years of public life, I have never obstructed justice. And I think, too, that I can say that in my years of public life, that I welcome this kind of examination because people have got to know whether or not their president is a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. I've earned everything I've got. John Dean, I mean, the, the, the question is obvious here, yeah, but I need, to say, I need to say this. Yet less than a year later, Nixon resigned. Similarities, defensiveness here. What do you say? Well, Nixon was a pretty good actor. Donald Trump is not. Nixon could actually go out and fake it. There's a very different public Nixon than there was behind closed doors, as the tapes show. Uh, Trump wears his emotions right on his sleeve, and you can tell his moods very quickly. Nixon was trying to put on an angry kind of facade for this uh, group of editors he was meeting with in Disneyland uh, to try to start a new disclosure agreement that he was going to be forthcoming. And he was, he, he was very angry about his tax returns. He was found out not to really be a crook, although he took a huge tax deduction. 
Uh, as far as obstruction of justice, no court ever ruled on it, but certainly public opinion is very clear that uh, he obstructed justice. Yeah. We're out of time. Thank you all. I appreciate it. Thank you. A white male politician in Kansas tells a black female city planner to not forget that he is part of a master race. What's his explanation? That's next. So there's a video coming out of Northeast Kansas that I want you to take a look at. This week, the white commissioner in Leavenworth County rejected a development plan presented to a public meeting by uh, Travis Pendleton, who happens to be black, and he said this. I don't want you to think I'm picking on you because we're part of the master race. You know you got a gap in your teeth. You're the master race. Don't ever forget that. Okay, so Lewis Quint who, like Pendleton, has a gap in his teeth. He claims is um, one account that he was making a joke. The mayor and two fellow commissioners are demanding Clint step down. The county administrator said this, that the use of the term master race, as ill-advised as it may be, was not a reference to Nazis or used in a racist manner in his instance. And I am deeply sorry that one misconstrued comment by a member of our elected governing body was caused has caused so much grief, sorrow, and hatred. So for the record, master race is believed to be a Nazi term suggesting that the Aryan race is a superior race, superior to others. So last year during a hearing, Klimp also made some controversial comments about uh, county holidays and who gets honored and who doesn't get honored. Not everybody does them all because we have Robert E. Lee. Oh God, Robert E. Lee, wonderful part of history. It bothers me that if we're going to have Martin Luther King Day, this is him, this is a quote, why don't we have a George Washington? I think George was a pretty important guy. But even free speech advocates like the ACLU, also speaking out against Clem's uh, latest poor choice of words, it's Kansas chapter condemning the remarks writing this in part. It says, at a time when hate-based violence is on the rise across the country, we must make it clear that we stand together as diverse communities and that we do not tolerate hate-based speech, especially not in local government. Okay? So, there we go. Let's discuss now. Charles Blow, Scott Jennings. Good evening. Good evening. Where are we with all of this? What is going on here? Well, there are two things that I no longer debate. Uh, climate change and racism, right? These are facts. And whenever people are trying to debate them, they're really talking about degree. You're over-exaggerating the extent of it. They're not arguing that it doesn't exist. You know, what's contributing to it? What's the extent of it? Are you calling things racist that are not racist, that sort of thing? That, to me, is a waste of time because you see that this continues to happen because these people exist. They exist in positions of power. Uh, and there is something coded into the language that is being used where you can kind of argue that you're not saying something racist, but the racists believe that you are saying something racist. So that, that's everything from the president calling himself a nationalist to this guy saying master race is not really about, <laughs> about Nazis. Well, yeah, but the people who believe in master race absolutely believe that that's what you're saying. And so if you can't kind of change your language, in a way that is more inclusive and in a way that does not bump up against and wink at the white supremacists, then you're part of that problem. 
Even if you're ignorant of it, even if you're just an ignorant person. Racism is a system. People think, always think racism requires intent. It requires malice on my part. Racism is a system. And when you use language like this, when you behave in ways that are dictated by your unconscious biases even, somebody is, is hurt by that and somebody benefits from that. And if you're benefiting from that, you're part of the system. Okay. Scott, go on. What do you think? Well, I mean, at best, this guy's a dumbass. At worst, he's something else. I mean, you don't, I watched the video. This guy's definitely old enough to know that if you say the words master race out loud at a county proceeding, what's going to happen? There's no way you live on this earth this long as this guy has, and you don't know what it means. There's like 75 or 80,000 people that live in this county. I think this guy ought to reevaluate whether he should be one of them that is running the county for the rest of them. I mean, look, I read the explanation. I get it. Maybe, maybe they're trying to slough it off here, but there is no possible way you say that out loud and you don't know the historical connotation of it. None whatsoever. Okay, so we, we heard that. Um, we hear these explanations, as Charles said many times. We heard it, uh, we see it a number of times recently. Um, we just heard it for the, uh, yesterday for the woman who is um, running, I think it's in, it's in Kansas, right, or is it in Arkansas, I forget, or Mississippi, in Mississippi. So then, Scott, to your estimation, what is going on here then? Because as I asked, I asked Charles, is it ignorance? And he said it doesn't matter, it's part of the system. Why, why would people even say these things? As you said, they're a dumbass. That's your words. But I, yeah, look, I, what, I, look, what has been I, unleashed I in our I, society I think, recently I, that people feel it's okay maybe to say these things? And I'm not saying it's just the president. I'm asking yeah, you in I general. I, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't like it because it's, it strikes me that people are saying things thoughtlessly. Uh, they are not considering the ramifications of their words. They are not considering... Frankly, that if you're in public life, politics, government, I mean, everything you're saying is being recorded, most likely, and then can be rebroadcast. And so you're not just saying it to the person in front of you. You're saying it to a whole audience of people that could be hurt by what you're saying. And you're not just hurting yourself or your, your body there. You're hurting your whole community. You're hurting your county. In this case, Leavenworth County, Kansas, is now in the news for a very bad reason. It's like people have stopped understanding the ramifications of the words that are coming out of their mouth and they need to think twice i mean words do matter yeah. uh even if you're at the low low level of government like county commissioners so i don't know what's causing people to do this but lord have mercy they need to get their brains and their tongues connected again so charles listen this is a statement from the city commission it said the city commission unequivocally denounces the use of master race or any other language that has historic ties to racism division and bigotry in any setting at any time so what what do we do then? Educate people about the context of some of these terms? Or, I, I don't know, he said people should know better. What's the solution here? Well, I, I think one thing that we have to dispense with is, is the notion that the only reason that people are behaving racist is because we haven't explained to them how that works. We haven't explained to them that the words they're using are offensive. We haven't explained to them that the actions that they're taking oppress some people and benefit other people. We, we keep kind of uh, operating under the delusion that, that it is a lack of knowledge and a lack of, of, of presenting them with facts. And we keep writing books and writing essays and making shows where we turn our pain into poetry. That is not the problem. People know that they are doing this. People know that this system exists, and they have chosen to either ignore it or to be willfully ignorant because they do not want to change that because they are getting a benefit from it. 
So once you accept that, we stop this whole conversation about can we explain it better? I'm not explaining it to you because you already know there's the problem. I'm not trying to convince you anymore because you already know that it's a problem. You need to fix it. Yeah. Thank you both. I appreciate it. So we're getting uh, we're going to take a, a closer look at women who voted for President Trump. Who are they? Why they support his policies? That's next. We will rise tomorrow night at nine on CNN. So white women supported Donald Trump over Hillary Clinton in the 2016 election. He won 52 percent of their votes. Though when you look at all women, including women of color, Hillary Clinton had more support. She, had, she got 54%. Now a wave of women, white, black, and brown, sweeping into office after the 2018 election. Does Donald Trump still have the support of a majority of white women? And if so, why is that? Let's talk about it. Here to discuss, Kirsten Powers, Alice Stewart, and Stephanie Jones-Rogers. She is a professor of history at UC Berkeley and the author of They Were Her Property. Hello. One and all, this is Hi, a very Don. important conversation. I'm sure it's going to stir up Hi, some controversy in, uh, in a number of different quarters, so be prepared for that. For that. So thank you for joining us. Kirsten, I'm going to start with you. There's been a lot of talk about why white women support President Trump despite of, or perhaps because of, his policies and his tone. What's your take on this? Well, I think there's a lot of different ways that we have to look at this. I think one of the first things is that people will say, uh, that they they support him for reasons other than his racist language, which we don't have time to go through, but there's all sorts of things starting from the launch of his campaign all the way up into the latest campaign, the way he demonized uh, you know, people trying to come to our country on the caravan, and they'll say, well, I'm not racist, I just voted for him because, you know, I, I, I didn't like Hillary Clinton, uh, and I just want to say that that's not that doesn't make you not racist. It actually makes you racist. If you support somebody who does racist things, that makes you racist. So I just want to establish that. As for why white women do it, I think we have to recognize that white men are doing it as well, mm. but I think sometimes we would hope that we would get better behavior from white women because white women are themselves oppressed and that they would therefore be able to uh, align themselves with other oppressed people. But I think we have to remember that the white patriarchal system actually benefits mm -hmm. white women in a lot of ways. And they're mm -hmm. attached to white men who are benefiting from the system that was created by them, for them. Mm -hmm. and, is, and their fathers and their husbands and their brothers um, are benefiting from the system. And so they are also benefiting. I just want to read something. It, it's from a Vox article. And it says um, that the war on crime has been pitched as an effort to keep white women safe. Uh, white women have been the plaintiffs in some lawsuits against affirmative action, and conservatives have argued that the practice harms white women, even though research has shown that white women have been some of the greatest beneficiaries of affirmative action. It, it, it shows you there the contradiction when you actually really think about the policies. People will say that, they're, that white women are actually voting against their own interests. I'm not sure if that is true, because maybe right. the better interest to them is what they get for, from voting from for people like President Trump and Republicans. Stephanie, you, you're quoted in this Fox article saying, for centuries, white women have invested in white supremacy because their whiteness affords them a particular kind of power that their gender does not. Explain what you mean by that. So as a historian, um, I explore white women's economic investments in the institution of slavery and what that has 
led me to, to understand is that there's this broader historical context that we need to keep in mind when we're, when we're looking at white women's voting patterns today. And as we look at, you know, their, their support, their, you know, overwhelming uh, support of uh, Donald Trump. And so what I meant was that um, we tend to think of, of white women as um, primarily focusing, focusing on their gendered oppression, that because they are oppressed as women, that that oppression will allow for them to ally and to, to sympathize with other dispossessed and disempowered peoples in the nation. But my, my research actually shows that they long, long had a deep investment in white supremacy, and not only did they benefit from it, but they participated in its construction and its perpetuation, not just in the context of slavery, not just in the colonial period, but well after slavery was over. You said that it was uh, overwhelming. It's 52%. It is a majority, but it's, by, it's 52%. It's not overwhelming, but it is a, it is a majority. Well, what, what I meant yeah. by overwhelming was emotionally, yeah. <laughs> emotionally overwhelming. Got it. And, you Got know, it. the response um, that we, we've, yeah. So, we've, Alice, why do you think yeah. that white women support President Trump? Do you think they identify more with being, as she said, um, white than they do with being Females. She just said that. I think when we're talking about the political arena, voters, women and men, identify themselves as either Republican, Democrat, Independent, or whatever their political party. And, and I strongly disagree with the characterization that women are oppressed, and by nature of that oppression, they should naturally vote for another group of people that are oppressed. I think that's just not how politics works. I think as a Republican or, or a Democrat or whatever your political leanings is, you should vote for people that represent those policies. I'm a, a Republican. I support this president. I voted for this president. I did so because of his policies. I do not agree with his tone and tenor. Don, I've been on your show dozens and dozens of times uh, discounting his behavior, his tone, his tactics, the things he says about women, his denigrating women, and I, I don't tolerate that. But his policies are what I stand for. But isn't that and part Don, of I'm, the policies? No, they're not, Don. You, the, the two, the, they're separate. Uh, look, I worked really hard for, for a candidate that, that had the character befitting of this office. Unfortunately, he didn't win the will of the Republican Party to become the nominee, and, and I supported Donald Trump's policies over Hillary Clinton's. And let me just say this, Kirsten is a dear friend of mine, but I, I resent the fact that she says that I'm racist because Donald Trump says racist things. I support this president because of his policies, and the, the things that he says that, that are disparaging and disgusting, which I've said many times, those don't represent me. But, but, Alice, but you don't have to support him. You could not vote. I mean, that's the thing. I could say there's a Democrat who, who does everything that I agree with, but they say misogynist or racist thing. I would not vote for them. And, and I just want to step back for a second and say, look, we spent a lot of time talking about Republican women. Look, there's a problem with white women. It doesn't matter whether they're Democrats or Republicans or nothing. It, there's a problem with racism. Every, everybody, every white person benefits from an inherently racist system that is structurally racist. Mm -hmm. So we are all, we're, we're all part of the problem. So I'm not trying to point my finger at you or at another person, but I think we have to recognize that there are, there's institutional racism in this country and by saying I'm just going to support somebody who you just said says racist things and does racist things is a problem. Mm. And if I could add to that, um, and just a point of clarification, so I did not say that white women voted 
for Trump because they were racist. What I, what I actually said was that there's this broader historical context in which white supremacy is quite important to white women, not simply as uh, the, the kind of beneficiaries of white supremacy, but as part orchestrators, um, part of the, build, you know, the builders of um, white supremacy. So just to clarify that, and I agree totally with what Kristen said, um, this, is, this is not about simply conservative white women. This is a phenomenon that is spread across the country, um, whether in the South or the North, you can see that this is, and it's not an indictment against all white women. This is about a certain, you know, a certain percentage of these white women who do indeed vote for a man who is certainly not speaking to their interests as women or as human beings. Yeah. Let me just be honest about it, um, well, as human beings. Okay, um, we're, so. we're, we're going to take a break. We'll be right back. Sonia Sotomayor joins David Axelrod for The Axe Files, tomorrow night at 7. All right, we're back now with Kirsten Alice and Stephanie Jones-Rogers. So, uh, listen, you, know, you guys made the distinction. You said that we shouldn't be talking about Republican women versus Democratic women. They're, it's, it's, uh, it's all white. We were talking about white women here. But I, I have to point this out. I want you to check out. This is the new Democratic members of Congress compared to the new Republican members of Congress. Um, all white, one female. And, I mean, Alice, what draws you to President Trump and, and this Republican Party? If you, I mean, look at the diversity here. It is unquestionable. There's a lack of diversity on the Republican side and one woman. There's no question about that. And the thing that jumps out at me, not, you know, certainly the, the, the racial component uh, that we see there, but the gender component. Democrats did a much better job of recruiting women. In the House alone, they had six times more women elected to the House of Representatives, and in the Senate, they had five times more women elected to the Senate. And overall, I'm pleased to see that we had more than almost 130 women elected to the House and Senate and in governor's positions. But yes, Democrats did but a better job of recruiting women. doesn't say something about the party? It's more than just recruiting. Doesn't it say something about the party? Maybe people think it's just sort of radioactive women, I should say, say, I don't really want to be attracted to that, yet they do most of the time vote. I think, well, I not, think not, not, not um, minority women, but go on, sorry. There, there's two different distinctions here. There's one, there's women voters, and then there's women that will uh, take the courage and, and put their livelihood on the line and actually run for office, which I have the most respect for them. Republicans did a better job of recruiting them. And look, I'll be the first to admit that some of the tone and tenor of this presidency uh, did encourage a lot of people uh, on the left to get in and run for office because they were frustrated and they were mad about the current situation uh, that we have in Washington, D.C. And I think that motivated a lot of people on okay. the left. Now the Republicans need to go out and, and recruit women to get involved because we do need a more diverse uh, representation in Washington. Well, and also probably, you said the tone and tenor, they need to work on that aspect of it as right. well. No so, doubt. Kirsten, listen, we had this conversation after the whole Megyn Kelly blackface controversy, and you wrote a piece about how white women often whitewash racism, you say. Talk about that. How big of a problem is it? It's a huge problem, and I think, you know, it's it's something that I think a lot of white women aren't aware of, and and I and again, people might be also saying, why are we picking on white women? There's white men too, and to a certain extent, I think it's because of what I said before. There's an idea that because white women experience their own oppression, that they would have a, you know more of a, a connection and an affinity with with other people who are oppressed, and so I think it's that much 
more upsetting. I also think it's because of some of the history that we've heard about before, that there is a long history of white women uh, being responsible for black men being lynched, for example, uh, for making accusations against them. And, and we see a lot of this, we see similar types of things happening. It's not as extreme, but when you see white women over and over, I mean, it's just, it's constantly happening where they're calling the police on black men who are gardening, black, you know, a little black boy in a, in a convenience store, these kinds of things, knowing full well that when you call the police on a black man, that he could end up dead. And so it's a very similar kind of thinking uh, that I don't think people see this kind of parallels that are happening in our society. And so I think that, you know, all white women, not just conservative white women, need to sort of sort of take a step back and really look at, um, you know, what kind of how, how they're being participants in this system and what they can do to try and change the system. Can, Stephanie, can you talk to me about this? Because I heard Alice said something, but I didn't want to interrupt her flow last time. She said um, that women, this is her estimation, correct me if I'm wrong, Alice, but she said she didn't think women were oppressed. Um, and I, you know, I found that interesting. Is that part of uh, this whole conversation about what privilege is it in, in the society that as a white woman, maybe a Republican woman, that she doesn't necessarily feel oppressed? Is that the re talk to me about that, Stephanie? Well, I think that's really interesting because in my own work, what I what I show is that while women, white women, may be oppressed because of the legal constraints placed upon them um, by white men um, as women, they aren't able to exercise certain rights um, in the in the colonial and, and 19th century context. But at the same time, they're able to dominate, subjugate, and own enslaved people. So while they are oppressed in one realm or one dimension of their lives, they are, you know, quite powerful in, an, in a, another very important um, dimension of their lives. You're so talking I about historically. You, can, you meant historically in the past. Yes, and so, I, so, so in, the, in the context of, of the, in the, current, the current atmosphere, you can certainly be um, oppressed but also be powerful at the same time. So um, I think those things can go hand in hand. It's not, they're not mutually exclusive, and I think, you know, um, she can be right, but also there are other women who would 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 disagree. So, <laughs> so there, you're you know, saying that there are different people. levels. You can be part. There's a glass ceiling, or um, you can Absolutely. be um, uh, part of the Me Too movement at work, but you're still more powerful than the women of color uh, in the society. So therefore, you may not see it as much. Go ahead, Alice. Do you want to respond to that? No, I, I I think this. You know, with all due respect, I, I take issue with the white privilege argument. I, I come from a broken home with, with uh, abuse and alcoholism and been on my own since I was 18, paid my own way through school, so I'm, har I'm hardly the poster child of white privilege. So I think a lot of times what we do is we look at things through the racial lens or the gender lens, when in, in, in all actuality, we also need to look at it through the socioeconomic lens and, and, the, and the, the class lens and, and the, the financial status of people, I think that is, is a lot more determining factor with uh, people's political leanings, the how they real vote. Quick, and Alice, and no one's de denying, you know, people have their struggles and they overcome it, and I actually respect that you made something of yourself, but even with that, you didn't have to deal with historic and systemic racism, which is a huge, huge problem and a huge block in this society. You can be the best person of color as far as smart and mm -hmm. uh, have a background in college and still not go any higher than someone who is not educated and white, someone who doesn't, um, who doesn't understand things as much and maybe not as smart and not as talented. 
That is simply fact in this society, but you don't have to think about that because you are not a minority and you don't have to face racism. Do you understand where can I'm coming I also, from? Can I also just add to that? I just think I want her to add, I want oh, her to let her respond and I'll let you go. Go ahead. Donna, I'll, I'm never going to claim that I understand what it feels like to, to be in uh, your shoes or, or any others that are of a different race. I, I, that's not what let, I'm let saying at all. But I, but I think let me put it this way. Let me put it this way before you respond. So my mother who has a master's degree, almost a doctorate. In the 1970s, when she went to her job at a very big company, she could only become a secretary. And there were white women who were coming in from trade schools who were becoming, you know, uh, secretaries to the plant manager or uh, who, didn't, who came in at something higher than a secretary, who came in as managers, didn't have as much education as her, were not as smart as her. And it wasn't until the end of her career where there started to be some balance that she started to see the success of, um, non, uh, of, of white women. And so that, but that's, you, no one thinks about that when you're not dealing with it. When you're, when you're participating in the process and you're reaping the benefit from it, you can come from equal levels of, of economics one white family, one black family, and, and historically, the studies will show that the white person will rise faster, will make more money, and will get opportunities more so. There are exceptions, but if you don't have to deal with it, you don't have to think about it. Sorry, go on. No, I didn't, I, I didn't know if Kirsten was talking. Look, as I said, Donna, I, I commend your mother. Certainly, she was a strong woman and raised a tremendous son. Look, I, I, I said I, I cannot understand what it is like to walk a mile in someone else's shoes. That's not what I'm saying. I, I think the, the, the question is, and, and the concern I have, is people automatically assuming just because you're of a certain race or a certain gender that you, you, automa or you, you automatically have a leg up on society, and that is not always <clears> the case. That's the way I view it, and that's in, in part of this conversation. I'm not saying I understand what it's like in someone else's shoes. That's, the, that's how I view this situation. And I think that that's a great thing that Alice brought up because I think that's the misunderstanding. It's not, when people hear privilege, they think that that means I'm, I'm like a richy rich and I'm living a really rich life. That's not what it means. It just means that you have a privilege that people of color don't have. And, and so in certain situations, like what Don was talking about, there's also systemic and institutional racism that you don't even see. And so an example would be um, standardized tests. Were, were created by white men for white men, and they were, there's actually plenty of studies that have been done on the history of them, that they were actually made to, to discriminate against people of color. So that's something that you don't even realize. You don't even, you know, as, as a white person, you don't even realize that the tests have been skewed in favor of you to help you get into a better college, yeah. that that's the way that it started. And so and there's all these things that are happening. Well, sorry. Yeah. Quick, Stephanie, sorry. And not to give you short trips, and I'm out of time. Go on, Seth. Yeah. When, when we... Hey everybody, the George Wilder Jr. Show is now in session. The finest internet radio talk show and podcast in the land of Illinois on the north side of the great, great city of Chicago. We are now on the air. Fun time, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for joining me. Have a great time.
All right, ladies and gentlemen, Robert Mueller is on the case. Manafort, this is from Robert Mueller's office. Manafort lied repeatedly. Uh, uh, and I'm thinking that he's jeopardizing, has jeopardized his plea. Uh, and he's calling it a plea violation. Wow. This is just in. I mean, uh, Paul Manafort broke plea deal by lying to investigators in Russia probe. Lock him up. The guy lied like a, I mean, <laughs> you know what? I believe it when some people, at first I didn't. I, I do believe that uh, that now, seeing so many people go to jail that have been involved with Donald Trump. Donald Trump infects people. He infects people with his uh, ways of being a criminal. You go around Donald Trump, Donald Trump wants you to lie. He wants you to break the rules. He wants you to become a criminal like he is, and then he'll pardon, try to, you know, promise to pardon you. Remember when he was doing all those pardons of criminals <laughs> like like himself? Anyway, a uh, special counsel complaint, complaint argues that uh, the plea deal agreement with Trump's former campaign chair is now invalid because he's lying to the FBI. You don't lie to the FBI. You don't lie to Congress. Kavanaugh got away with lying to Congress because Congress itself, they're liars. But you don't lie, generally, you don't lie to the FBI. You just don't. I mean, that's, you lie to the FBI, they're going to charge you with perjury. And perjury, uh, you could get six months to a year in jail. Six months is a uh, misdemeanor. A year in jail, that's a felony. You just don't lie to the FBI. You just do not do that. But, you know, a lot of stupid, dumb, crazy, idiotic people in government, they do. Because they feel as if they're above the law. Okay, special counsel Robert Mueller filed a complaint Monday alleging that former Donald Trump campaign chairman Paul Manafort breached his plea deal by lying during his interviews with prosecutors. Man. Wow. That's Donald Trump rubbing off on him, you know. Manafort lies, which are not specified in the complaint, nullify all promises federal prosecutors made to him as part of a plea agreement he reached two months ago in an investigation over Russian meddling in the 2016 presidential election. Wow. So he's going to get more time in jail. He's going to get more time for lying. The best thing he can do, he, he obviously he doesn't want to spill the beans on Donald Trump. Donald Trump doesn't give a damn about Paul Manafort. Paul Manafort was once Donald Trump's campaign manager for two or three months until <laughs> until his ass got with his hand in the cookie jar. Mueller locked his ass up. You know, it, it's it, it, it's it's a crime shame to where to where our country is now, to where what it 
it has become under Donald Trump. And this guy is out there still lying. He's still out there free as a bird. While so many other people under, under him work for him closely have gone to jail. George Papanopoulos. He's going to prison. He tried to get them to drop it, but they wouldn't drop it. He's heading off to prison. All of these, uh, uh, Michael Flynn, all of these folks in Donald Trump's circle, whether they're whether during his campaign or his first year as president or the second, these damn people are going to jail. Left and right, they're marching in lockstep to prison. Why isn't it that, and why isn't it also Donald Trump? He spearheaded this shit. He masterminded all of this. His lawyer, his fixer, Michael Cohen, he's on his way to prison. And they're, they're keep saying, they keep saying that Donald Trump cannot be indicted because it's of some shit that that's on the books in the Justice Department, which I think is a bunch of crap. Donald Trump is not above the law, but the Democrats will take over January 3rd, and we're going to see what the hell is going to happen there. And I'm going to tell you something, folks. Donald Trump is scared shitless. He is so scared. He's scared of Mueller. He's afraid of the Democratic Congress, the House of Representatives. He is afraid of those things. And thirdly, he's also afraid of his daughter and two sons going to jail. He's afraid of that. They should be on their way to jail. New York is suing them. Uh, Trump, Trump tried to get it thrown out, saying that because he's president, he should not be sued. Bullshit. They're going to jail. Uh, so those are the three things that Donald Trump is frightened of. And there is no doubt about it. Donald Trump is a big fucking coward. He was such an embarrassment on uh, on Veterans Day. Such an embarrassment. Instead of praising our lost and, and comrades, our veterans, our troops, he mocked them. He made fun of them. He told him, uh, he said some ironic things. And I'll say this again, and I've said it several times. Our troops, the military troops, the United States military should turn their backs on this fraud, this fake president, this idiot, this stupid man. They should turn their backs on this man. Maybe, maybe one day our military will grow a pair and turn their backs on this clown. This fucking clown. Uh, it's just. Um, treats the military so bad. He acts like he loves the military. I think he's pissed off because he's not going to get a parade. Anytime Donald Trump can't get something and he feels that he should get it because he's the president. He's the president and we're not. You know, we're just peasants. Uh I just think the military just should, should turn their backs on this man. America have. Uh, 
majority of America, but he still he he still comes. He keeps on coming, and you got to keep on turning your back. Donald Trump wants to be a dictator. He's acting like a dictator. You know, uh, since the midterms, uh, the blue wave ate his ass up. Now he's coming out as a full-fledged dictator, which he is not because it's not on the – we still have a constitution. He cannot shred it even though he doesn't like it. He breaks the law. I mean he obstructs justice right out in the open, and the Democrats know it, but they need something on paper. They're going to get him. And Donald Trump is scared shitless. I feel almost feel sorry for him, but he keeps being an asshole, so I cannot. They're coming after him. They are coming after Donald Trump. And he knows it. He bloody knows it. Okay. And his kids. There's one thing one thing I do know about Donald Trump and I think most of us do is that he loves his children. <laughs> I mean he 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 uh he goes to bat for his kids even if they're wrong like Ivanka using private emails uh instead of her uh job emails. And same thing they accuse Clinton of that she's now guilty of. But yet, since she's Donald Trump's lawyer, she, like Donald Trump, they are supposed to be above the law. And Donald Trump is out there saying, this is different. This is different. It ain't different. Stop lying. It's not different. Republicans are calling for an investigation into her emails. Obviously, Democrats will start that when they are sworn in on January 3rd, 2019. And that's going to be Really, really interesting to follow. The George Wilder Jr. Show is now on the air. You Friday morning. 
back to the show. Folks, uh, Mueller uh, uh, is saying that Paul Manafort, a one-time Trump employee, has lied repeatedly to the FBI. And you do not lie to the FBI. That's why Trump submitted questions. You know what? The, the thing, the fact that the fact is that because Trump submitted questions uh, to some of the answers that Mueller is asking, submitted questions on paper, third grade probably. <laughs> third, uh, this is not going to satisfy Mueller because he submitted questions to the FBI. Mueller wants to see him. Mueller wants to look at to see. Uh, get a look at his body language, uh, how he talks, how he speaks, how he moves, you know, uh, how he says things. He needs to get a look at Donald Trump. He needs to uh, talk to Donald Trump, not submit questions. That's that's elementary. That's for a third or fourth grader to do, not for the president of the United States to do. Uh, he is so afraid of Mueller. He, Mueller didn't... Mueller does not want to look at questions that have been uh, vetted by Trump's lawyers. Because every, Trump, Trump lied again. Well, my lawyers haven't done this. I've done it. You know damn well his lawyer's going to look over that shit to make sure that he's not going to incriminate himself or perjure himself in answering those questions. But I don't think Mueller wants that. Uh, maybe that's one uh uh, thing that he might accept, but he would rather he would rather talk to Donald Trump in person, get him on tape, look at his body languages, language, look how he says things, his movement, his smiles, his, uh, the expressions on his face. This is what Mueller wants. So in that case, Donald Trump is not really satisfying Mueller with these questions that his lawyers have uh, uh, vetted and probably, you know, told him what to write, how to write it, and when to write it, so he doesn't incriminate himself. He doesn't lie, commit perjury. Uh, but M- Mueller wants to see Trump. So therefore, and Mueller's been giving Trump a hell of a long time to come in and sit down and talk to him, maybe over a year. So Mueller may get... M- Excuse me, Mueller may be tired of waiting for Donald Trump to come sit down and talk to him. He may be tired of waiting that this guy is not going to come in. So he may subpoena Trump. He may subpoena Trump. He even may indict Trump. The hell with what's on the Justice Department. Uh, The hell with their guidelines when it's pertaining to a president. I bet if Donald Trump was a damn Democrat, they wouldn't probably use uh, the excuse that a, Repub- uh, a president cannot be impeached. They wouldn't use that. But since Donald Trump is white and stupid and ignorant, they, they're going to use it. So I'm thinking that the Mueller should have a ton of indictments. I mean, a ton of indictments coming out, not only on Trump, but these assholes in Congress, governorships around America, Republicans, wherever they are, they are and elected, they should be indicted. They should be indicted no matter where they are. And then you got this 
uh, this person named I, most of them just say Hyde White. I mean, she is a Republican. She's in a runoff with a Democrat, an African American, and she has been. And if you've been following this, she has been saying all kinds of racist shit. Donald Trump is in Mississippi right now, rallying for her. Well, she didn't mean what she said. Vote for her anyway. She's she's not a white supremacist. She she loves everybody. Vote for her. Don't even make it close. This is what Donald Trump is saying. Don't even make it. Vote for her. And she was saying, uh, I was reading somewhere where she says that uh, uh, she would enjoy sitting front row at a hanging. She did not deny she didn't say that. She's po- apologizing for if she hurt anyone by saying that. She knows that the racists who she is pandering to, they, they love it. And the only reason why she's saying that she's sorry is so that she can get votes. Well, I'm sorry, but in her heart, she's not. She's saying it so she can get your vote. Donald Trump is going there saying, well, she didn't. And he's a white supremacist. He's a white nationalist. That's what he said at one of his rallies that he was a white nationalist. It came out of Donald Trump's mouth. And he has not apologized for it. He has not taken You know, I mean, one racist to another. That's what this is in Mississippi. And I've said this several times. Mississippi, Georgia, and Florida, Texas, you guys have to try and get your politics straight. You got to get these assholes out. And you can't be voting these people in. I think that's one of the reasons why Mississippi was a red state all these years is because African Americans, African Americans, they did not vote. They did not vote. African Americans did not vote. This is why we have a red South. Majority of those states in the South are and majority of the majority of those states in the South are slave states. And they still are. Black people in Georgia, they think they got it good. No, you do not. Black people in Mississippi think they have it good. No, you do not. As long as you have a a racist governor, racist senators, and representatives, you do not have it good. You guys got to get up off your asses and get these racists out of your country, or they will throw you out. Get these racists out of your state. If any part of the country uh, is blue or should be blue, it's Mississippi, Georgia, Florida, and Texas. Instead of being controlled by white people, I'm not racist, but, you know, white evil mean people. 
I mean, there's a lot of great white folks out there. I've I've known them, I've worked with them, and I've loved them. Uh, but these states have to try and do a better job when it comes to voting. Black people have to get out there and vote. Vote, 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 vote them out and vote the right way. And I can't understand why there are so many African-Americans out there for Trump. <laughs> you got to be an ignorant ass to be for Donald Trump. Well, I'm well, I'm an ignorant ass, then, George, because I, I, I'm voting for Trump, but he's going to take away your Social Security check. Uh, uh, that's all right. I, I'll starve. But he's going to take away your health care. Well, I have to die for Trump then, but I'm going to vote for him. This is ridiculous. All right, you've been listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show. We're just about off the air, folks. I want to thank everybody for tuning in. Thanks, everybody, for listening, for podcasting the show, listening to the show once it's over, and having a great time. It's all about having fun, folks. And I try to uh, be a little bit amusing because I know how down some people can be over what's going on. But we have to uh, stick together. We're one country. We're not, we shouldn't, we are divided. But we have to find find a way to try to uh, undivide us, get this country undivided. We're divided. We have to look over some of the shenanigans and bullshit of Donald Trump and be Americans and bring the country together on our own, regardless of the tone that Donald Trump sets for this country. We've got to ignore this man and do the right thing for our country. He will not be in that office long. I'm surprised he's been there this long. Um, a lot of us are surprised. A lot of us are just so damn surprised because a lot of us wake up every morning hoping <laughs> hoping to hear something that Donald Trump either died or, or been arrested or been indicted. And it just seems as if it's not coming. <laughs> uh, and I don't think it's going to come before before any time, before Christmas, you know. Uh, anyway, thanks, everybody, for voting in the midterms. You are great. You are wonderful. But we have to do the same thing in 2020. Because actually, if you think about it, the blue wave is still going on in some parts of the country, you know, especially in Mississippi. And uh, we have to look forward to January, and we have to look forward to 2020 to get these to get this man out. I actually think that the Republicans, the Republicans are uh, getting sick of Donald Trump. I think the blue wave may have uh, caused some of them come to a Jesus moment. They, they have, uh, you know, I mean, if Donald Trump would have won, they'd have supported him, but he did not win. I mean, at least he lost the House of Representatives in, in a big way, in a great big way. And I think some of the Republicans are saying, good, goddamn, he lost. You know, because there are Republicans out here egging the Democrats to throw, uh, to throw out the Republicans. And we did it. We did it, but we just didn't do it good enough in the House, but there was still a blue wave. A blue wave knocked the shit out of Donald Trump. That's why he went crazy the day after. I'm a dictator. This is my country. I own it. This is my White House. (laughs) And sometimes the guy really actually thinks that he owns the White House. 
He thinks it's his. He thinks the country belongs to him. He thinks he owns America. No, he doesn't. All right, you've been listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show on Block Talk Radio. Thanks for listening, folks. I hope you join me tomorrow. And if I'm not on the air for some reason, make sure you enjoy one of the six or 700 podcasts I have on this uh, Block Talk Radio site. And it is, this is internet radio, okay? Uh, and uh, I'm very proud of it. I've been here for a while, and I'm going to try and stay as long as I can. All right, I want you to... Uh, Vote blue, always vote blue, vote vote blue now and forever. I have gum in my mouth or something. Um, vote blue now and forever because we have to take this country back completely. Every Republican uh, uh, should be voted out no matter where they are. They're all scoundrels. <laughs> They're all thugs and crooks and idiots and fools and stupid. They should not be holding any office whatsoever, and we're going to try and do that. Vote them all out. It's going to—it's it, not going to be easy voting them all out, but but it is possible. It is so possible. It is so possible because no matter where they are, they are going to fuck up the country because they want to line their pockets with our money and it's not going to happen. All right. I want to say thanks to everybody listening to the show. Uh, yourself listening to the show. Have a great evening. Have a great weekend. Have a great morning, afternoon, wherever you find yourself listening to this podcast show, you have a good one. All right. Uh, bye-bye everybody. And I hope you join me tomorrow. Bye-bye.
troubled world, I pray the Lord to keep Keep hatred from the mighty and the mighty from the small Thank you.